Paul was given his defense before Festus and before Bernice and before Herod Agrippa. And I tell you this because I want you to get a grip of this. Herod Agrippa. That's funny. That's funny. And when he was given his defense about all that he had done and seen, Festus, this Roman proconsul, was like, wait, time out, time out, time out. Are you kidding me? You were on a horse going to Damascus. You heard a voice, saw a light, fell off your horse, and have since then been telling people who that voice was that you heard and saw. And, and, and Festus says this to him. He says, you've lost your mind. You've gone mad. And then Paul looks at Festus and says, I have not gone mind. I speak to you the things of truth and reason. And I wish that you, and he points to then Herod Agrippa, who knew the law. And he said, Herod Agrippa, none of these things escapes you, does it? And he points right at him and he says, you need to become a believer. And Herod Agrippa takes a few steps back and he says, you almost made me a Christian. That's what he says in the book of Acts. Now, if your doctor comes out of the surgery room and you say, how did the surgery go? And he's like, almost good. That's a bad day. And here, Herod Agrippa's like, you almost had me, dude. I almost became a Christian. If you know history, he was married to Bernice. He actually wasn't married. He was living with her. And through a sordid set of relationships, they were actually related. And so they couldn't get married. Yuck. And the Bible says that he grabbed Bernice and left. And Festus sends him to Rome. I say that to say this. I just got done teaching through the whole book of Acts. That's why it's fresh. And the whole point is Paul teaching the entire world about Jesus Christ. And he would not stop. He would not relent. He would not recant. He would not slow down. And you know who Paul followed primarily? Jesus. He followed Jesus. Paul followed Jesus, and Paul tells you and I to follow him. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, Now imitate me as I imitate Christ. How many of you guys, when you see Jesus in his life and his sacrifice and his death and his burial and his resurrection, you think, dude, that's a little bit big shoes to fill. You know, it's Jesus Christ. Okay, I, I sometimes like, you know, cancel myself out of the equation. Like, well, he has Jesus. Of course he prayed for his enemies, you know. I pray for my enemies that they die. You know, it's different. <laughs> and, and so Paul says, you know what? I'm not perfect and I'm not an immortal. I'm just a man. So follow me. And Paul received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says many, many times throughout the book of Acts, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, and Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. And those men and women did what they did in those days in order to encourage us. So I'm so thankful to go up to the Antioch Christian Training School, teach. I got home on Friday night about 8 p.m., 20-some hours of teaching, almost 20 hours of driving, and, and it's exciting. And so my goal today is to continue to excite us as we get into Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. Uh, somebody made fun of me at the beginning service. They said, what are you afraid to finish the gospel of Luke? You know, and I said, kind of, you know, because I, I promised you guys when we're done with Luke, we're going to get in the book of Revelation. So that's going to be 2025. Uh, that's, we'll get there, eight years or so. And uh, really, though, as I, as I read verses 31 through 34, there was enough in there. For us to focus our attention on and to blow our minds and to realign our steps. That I didn't want to go into the next story where blind Bartimaeus is healed and the next story where Zacchaeus is called down from the tree. Those are all standalone stories. This portion has enough within each and every one of you. There's only two camps here, those who are in, those who are out, right? Okay, those who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and those who have not yet done that. Okay, there's only two camps. But both camps could, if you were to be honest, adjust a little bit closer to the Lord today. 
You who have given your life to Jesus Christ and have followed him and wanted to go hard in the paint and not turn down and get excited, if I were to pull you and say, hey, you who are believers, is there anything in your life that still needs to change? Raise your hand if you still need to change. Okay. Raise your hand if the person next to you needs to change. <laughs> right? Raise your hand if you just lied or something. You know, the, the bottom line is, is we all need to change. We all need to get fired up. You might be in that other camp here today that you're not a believer. Someone tricked you. They said, hey, you want to go out to coffee? <laughs> they took you to church. You know what I'm saying? There's your coffee, sucker, you know. And you're like, what am I doing here? Get this guy off the stage. And you need to make a decision today. Who are you living for? What are you doing with your life? It all counts. It all matters. Today is the day of salvation. And the Lord has brought, I don't care what camp you're from, the Lord has brought you here today for this four verses to blow your mind, to re-soften your heart, to re-engage your walk. As a matter of fact, when you do that, when you, when you glean into and lean into God's word, his word does stuff. It's a playbook for our life. It tells us what to do and what not to do. It's a coach that tells us where to go and where not to go. It prepares us for the future that we're not even yet aware of. The Bible actually corrects us when we're doing things wrong. Have you ever read this book and be like, I'm doing it all wrong when you read this book? That's every day for me. Like you do your morning devos, you're like, no. And you got to adjust. The Bible also comforts us. It does all these things. It's so powerful. And this is, the whole primary sermon today is about God's word, just so you guys know. is where I'm going with this. Because God's word is like a fire that won't be stopped. It's shut up in our bones, you who are believers. And nothing can stop it from coming out. Well, as a matter of fact, some things can't stop it, can't they? Maybe lifestyle choices or attitudes, neglect, atrophy, laziness, rebellion. If you're like me, you, you actually have a free will still. Raise your hand if you have a free will. Leave your hand down if you're a Calvinist and don't. Anyways, anyways, that's funny. Jan, Jan, Jan's, she's got this. This is funny stuff up in the front row. I don't know what you guys are doing back there. Ushers, get everyone some caffeine. Let's go. Here's the deal, though. Whenever, whenever you approach the Word, whenever a sermon is preached, whenever a Bible study is listened to, the reality is it's designed to take us somewhere that we're not. Maybe back, maybe further. It's not, we're not just here to tickle ears and give shoulder rubs. Everyone leaves here the exact same as you should. That's not why you're here. That's not why God is drawing people to this church. He's been drawing people to this church since 2008. In 2010, for the last eight years, it's been blowing my mind. And I believe it's because God is doing a work in the lives of men and women, families, all up and down the coast. We were praying at the 8.30 prayer time. We have an 8.30 prayer time on Sundays. And I was just, I was praying and I was like, Lord, thank you so much for all the people that come to South Beach Church. And having a lot of people come to your church is not the end, it's a means, okay? The end is not a big church. You don't want a big church. What you want is you want big Christians, okay? You want big people who know Jesus and who know the word and who know the days they live in and know what's at stake. Having a bunch of people, that's a, that's a big responsibility. James chapter three actually says, careful preacher, you who preach, you'll be held accountable for every word that comes out of your mouth and you'll be held accountable for the people that God's given to you. And so Jesus and Paul and this church, when the word is brought forth, it's in order to execute some change in our life. Something's got to give. Something's got to go. Something's got to be added. Something's got to be embraced. Something's got to be enjoyed. That's what makes Christianity so fun is that we know we need to grow. And instead of just staying where we're at, we want to go further. Now, here's the problem is that some of us in here, if not most of us, are somewhat satisfied. Okay, I'll just be the first to say I like to be satisfied. I like to eat so much that I'm satisfied. When you eat beyond that, it's called a buffet. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm happy, but they got more stuff. And you keep going and pretty soon, you know. Anyways, what, what happens though is when you get satisfied in the things of God, you stop eating. You stop progressing. And what happens is, is maybe you'll go on a mission trip or two. Or maybe you'll read a book, or maybe you'll join a small group, or maybe you'll confess a sin and find a certain level of victory in life, and you're satisfied. Like, I, I don't, I'm not where I used to be. I'm definitely not where I need to be, but I'm satisfied. And I believe the Lord gives to you and I a holy dissatisfaction. That is a desire for more, where I'm glad, I'm so glad. I'm not the person I used to be, but I'm also not totally fired up about where I am. I want to keep going. And that's going to require change. I can't get to where I'm going by staying where I'm at. Can I get an amen? That's not how it works. It's not how it works. This satisfaction, though, leads to a lethargy, an apathy, a digression. As a matter of fact, if you're not moving forward in anything, academics, physical prowess, okay, financial freedom, spirituality, if you're not moving forward, you're, you're, you're not staying, you're slowly digressing. It's one or the other. Okay? If you work super hard and get physically fit, dude, look at that. And then for the next month, just look at yourself in the mirror. Like you will slowly get unphysically fit. Same with spirituality. Oh, I got this far. Cool. Now what? Uh, Cheetos? I was thinking Cheetos, you know. No, no. Turn down for what? Turn down. And, and it, it comes down to, again, I'm so fired up because I was so convicted. I've taught through the book of Acts 10 times at the Antioch Christian Training School. I've taught through it another 10 times in other places. And as I sat there and saw Paul, I was like, dude, this guy was crazy. He wouldn't stop. He went on his first missionary journey. It lasted three years. And then he got back and he waited five years. And he starts looking around and he's like, hey, you want to go back to that one place? And they're like, hey, Paul, remember the last time we were there? They killed you. You died. Like, he's like, yeah. Oh, they did? Huh. That's why I've got these constant headaches and can't see anymore, you know? Let's go back there and see if it worked. And they're like, you're crazy. And he goes back to that same area, Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And he goes back there and there's churches planted. There's people, there's faithfulness. It worked. But if you're honest, I'm so glad you're here. There's so many things going against you to move forward. There's so many things. And you need to taste even this morning. Say, what in the world? And that's why I want to talk about God's word today, which will be the one source that will take you deeper. If you just taste it, oh, yeah. I coach soccer U8 soccer, so they don't have brains yet, and uh, so they're real young, seven, six, and five-year-olds. They're just, what well, I don't know what they are, and uh, so, so the real goal is to keep them on the field, you know, with their shoes on. That's like the goal. If they touch the soccer ball, hey, bonus, bonus, and so, so the four stages of a soccer, there's four quarters. The first is excitement, okay? Then it's fatigue, immediate fatigue in the second quarter. Then it's boredom. And then in the fourth quarter, it's sheer rebellion. It's just rebellion. Like, get back on the field. Kick the ball. Hey, don't kick me, you know? And they're just like savages. And I love it. I love it. I love it. And so my daughter, she's on the team. That's why I'm there, you know? She's the best. She's the best. Anyway, she's the littlest, though. She's so small. And yesterday, what happened was, is she figured it out. She figured it out. She dribbled, which is what I say. Dribble, shoot, score. Dribble, shoot, score. It's like three things in a row. So she, she dribbled threw some people and just kept kicking and kicking it and winning. She scored. It was amazing. Yeah, one cheers, you know. That was one goal. And then she did it again, a second goal. And then the third time, she actually had to navigate through defenders and all the rest. It was like pro style, and she got it again. She figured it out that when she scores, everyone screams, and it feels real good to not just be satisfied. I had to pull her out of the game, though, because we were slaughtering this team. Like, you sit down, honey. You know, here's a, here's a goldfish. You did great. And... But it was like Paul. He'd, he'd tasted ministry. He, he'd suffered and sacrificed, yes, for sure. But he wasn't going to slow down. He wasn't going to stop. 
And so exciting is it when we, when we realize that through time spent in God's word, that it will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. As a matter of fact, it might come up on the screen, 2 Timothy 3.16. You should have this one committed to memory by now if you're, if you're a believer. If not, write it on your friend's arm. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it. And it's profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is profitable. It's inspired by God for everything, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, that we would be equipped for every good work, that we would know what to do when it's time to dribble, shoot, score, when it's time to get in the game, when it's time to be a husband, time to be a wife, time to be married, time to be single, when it's time to be a mom, time to be a dad. It's all covered in this book. And so Jesus says something very profound about this book. As a matter of fact, let's read it together. Look at verse 31. Jesus says something. This is the primary hinge that all this swings on. And I want you in your life groups later to read this, and it makes sense. Even if your life group is just between you and a breve latte. Verse 31. Then he took the 12 aside. Imagine that. Jesus takes you aside. The whole crowds, fans, foes, followers. He's like, hey, homies, come here. Special, special Bible study. He takes him aside and he said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man will be accomplished. Stop right there. Look up here. Guys, we're going to Jerusalem. Now I've been telling you they're going to Jerusalem. I'm not sure if they knew they were going to Jerusalem. Now Jesus says, dudes, we're going to Jerusalem. You know what was so big about that? In Jerusalem, they had an In-N-Out burger. I'm kidding. Loosen up, man. Jerusalem was a big deal to Jews in those days. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and attended Jerusalem occasionally. They were peasants and farmers and hillbillies. They didn't go to the big city. So to go to Jerusalem, as a matter of fact, I've been there twice. When you approach Jerusalem in your tour bus, one day we'll do this hopefully in 2019, South Beach Church in Jesus' name, amen, we'll see. The tour bus driver will get everyone's attention and he'll play a special song. And all of a sudden, you'll feel the place fill with excitement and energy, and people will begin to cry as your bus ascends the hill into Jerusalem. And everybody who still goes to Jerusalem, even those who live there, it is a special moment when you drive up that mountain to a city on a hill, and you go into Jerusalem. It's a big deal. So when Jesus says, guys, I'm not sure what you thought we've been doing this whole time. Maybe they were mistaken. Maybe they knew they shouldn't go. And he made a decision that day. We're going to Jerusalem. Then he says something crazy. And all the things, in the Greek, all means what? All, three of you, good job. All the things written of me by the prophets in the scriptures will be fulfilled. That's a good day. Jesus says, whatever's been told about, about me in the scriptures, did you know that the Bible talks about Jesus through and through, from Genesis to Revelation, that it is all about Jesus Christ? I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I'm not sure you know that. Jesus says, everything that was written about me will now come to be accomplished and fulfilled. And I bet you their eyes got big, like, you saw this coming. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. He's going to kick out Rome. He's going to make us his main men. All those things. And Jesus saw their eyes excited. Oh, man. And then he keeps talking. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to be fulfilled. Here's what's been written. Verse 32. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles. That means betrayed and arrested. Now, right away, his disciples are like, wait, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna betray you? I'm not going to betray. 
Is he going to betray you? He totally looks like a betrayer. They're all going to betray. He's going to be arrested, he said, for he, the son of man, that's himself, will be arrested by the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. Does that kind of make you mad a little bit? You ever seen somebody mocked, insulted, and spit upon? When you watch those bullying videos, when some kid's getting picked on and spit on, don't you just want to just like kill everything? Everything bad, I mean. And he says, that's going to happen to me. Like, no, bro, you're Jesus Christ. You're not going to get insulted. You're not going to get mocked and spit. That's what he said. Verse 33, they will scourge him and kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. Verse 34, pay attention to this. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Luke the historian, Luke the physician, Luke the writer says the same thing three different ways in that last verse. They didn't understand. It was hidden. They didn't get it. We got, okay, Luke, we got it. This doctor is being very thorough. Their eyes were completely blind. Have you ever read the Bible and not gotten it? Be honest. Okay. Have you, have you ever looked at life and not, not understood what's going on? This portion of scripture actually where it says they understood none of these things, the saying was hidden, and they didn't know the things which were spoken reminds me of when I went to college. That's how it felt in college. <laughs> Teacher talking, you're like, ah, I'm not sure if you're even speaking in my language. You know, I didn't, woo, didn't get anything. As a matter of fact, I, I signed up for French, like entry-level French in college, and I went in there, and they spoke no English. I couldn't believe it. Like zero English, all French, and I was like, we, oui, or sayonara, you know, I was like, that's all my French I know. Is sayonara even French? <sighs> college. It was bad. It was brutal. It was brutal. Jesus here, I, he, he tells them, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. That's a good thing, isn't it? Everything that's spoken of concerning me is going to be fulfilled. That's great, isn't it? No, it is, but it isn't. See, Jesus knew full well what he was about to undergo, and he knew in the end there, and I'll be risen from the dead on the third day. They didn't hear it. They didn't listen. I don't know what was going on. Just like you and me when we don't understand what's happening or maybe a year from now or maybe you've recently experienced. I didn't know what that meant, but whoa, now I get it. I didn't realize how blind I was and whoa. I'll tell you what, what Jesus wants to do this morning, even in our own hearts, is he wants us to return to that excitement of sacrificing for him, trusting him, and receiving what he wants for you and me. I haven't even prayed yet. That's all introduction. Let me just throw one prayer out there real quick. Jesus, I pray in your name that as we study your scriptures and gather together, and just not in, Lord, would you, would you heal our hearts? Lord, I fear that we are in a generation that is so split, that is so, that is so clouded, Lord, with so many gadgets and so many things, so many weird understandings, and Holy Spirit, through the word of God, would you penetrate our hearts, our minds, and our spirits, and would you never let us go? Would you finish the work? Would you take us to Jerusalem, if you would? Would you lead us every day of our lives? Would you make us like the Apostle Paul, faithful to the very end? And would you do that through the vehicle of your word? Would we become Bible people again? Not just those who were, but those who are. I thank you, Jesus. I pray for your anointing now to teach this, Lord. I pray for your anointing, Lord, for my friends to listen. May you receive the glory. May we receive the joy in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, every time you approach the word of God, he wants to do something in your life. He wants to move you forward. I need to just make sure you see the context here. Jesus, it says in verse 31, then he took the 12 aside and said to them, the then means right after the prior. 
And the prior event was when the rich young ruler came to him and said, bro, how can I get to heaven? And he's like, well, do all the commands. I've done all the commands. He will stop being greedy and covetous and you'll have the kingdom of heaven. He's like, oh, snap, that one. And he left sorrowful. And then Jesus taught on that and he said, guys, you can't get into heaven if you're distracted by everything else. He said something really cool though. He said, it's actually easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle than it is to get saved. And you know what the disciples said? Well, how can anybody get saved? And if you would, Jesus said, you can't. But with God, all things are possible. There's not one thing you can do to get saved. There is not one thing you can give up or step up to outside of the person, Jesus Christ. It's not about you. That's the message. It's about him. It's about full surrender, full acceptance to Jesus, and you will be saved. It is impossible to save yourself. But with God, all things have become possible. This is the good news. You can join any other religion you want, any other cult. You can watch Oprah. You can watch Dr. Phil. All of them will give you good advice. And if you are a strong individual, you might be able to accomplish those things. Jesus doesn't give good advice. He gives good news. He said, you can be saved. You can be saved. You're a has-been. You're an outcast. You're upside down. You're weak-minded. Oh, come unto me, all you who are lay, heavy laden and weary. Come on, let's do it. Jesus now says to them, we're going to go to Jerusalem, guys. But before he says that, I want you to see verses 29 and 30, and just quickly, quickly. Actually, verses 28. Because Peter said this, hey, we've left all and followed you. Peter pipes up, hey, we, we did some stuff. We're following you. Are you proud of us? And Jesus said, yeah, I, I super am. Verse 29, he says this, assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house, parents, brothers, wife, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says, guys, if you've ever given anything up for me, okay, because of your salvation, if you've ever decided to follow me and, and, and sacrifice for me, I will reward you both now and forever. Can I get an amen? That's good stuff. Have you experienced this? How many of you guys had to let some stuff go in order to receive Jesus? Okay. Now, if you're honest, the stuff you let go was like negative stuff in the first place, like crazy stuff that was taking you down the wrong road. Like, what'd you have to give up to get saved? I had to give up high-speed chases and overdoses and blackouts and parole officers. And that's what I had to give up to get saved. Because you see, people are crazy. Like, I don't want to give anything up and get saved. I'm like, dude, your life is a train wreck, bro. God's asking you to give something up and he's going to give to you something better. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. And I have come to give life and life abundantly. As a matter of fact, 1 John 5, you can put it up on the board if we have it. 1 John chapter 5 says this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Stop right there, eyes up here. 1 John 3 and 4, commit that to memory. The commands of the Lord, follow me, going to Jerusalem, sacrifice if you have to. Oh, man, for what? <laughs> I've come to give life and life abundantly. If you've lived a decade or two or five or ten for some of you, you've been ripped off. You've gone down the wrong road. You've signed contracts with your flesh or the devil, and it is not paid well. And the Lord says, hey, if you... If you sacrifice anything for me, I will bless you in this kingdom and in the kingdom to come. If you've given up anything, if you've lost friends or family, as a matter of fact, just look around. Look around everyone here. This is our second service of the day. We have one more after this. Look around. Don't look at me anymore. Look around. Look around. Look around. If I see you looking at me, you're in trouble, Ken. 
I'm just messing with you. The people you just saw, those are your family. That's a pretty big family. That's your brothers and sisters. You sacrificed, you lost a friend or two. I lost some friends. Becoming a Christian. People don't want to hang out with me anymore. Okay? Now, whenever you travel, you can go to another city, another state. You can go to Starbucks, you can somebody read their Bible and sit right next to them, drink their coffee. You're, maybe not drink their coffee, but you're friends. You go to Chick-fil-A, everybody's a Christian there. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not. I'll tell you what, Jesus promises you, if you guys go all in, I'm not going to mess with you. I'm going to give you better than what you had to give up. You're going to get better family, more family, additional family. You're going to get houses. Did you know if you travel as a Christian, you'll probably find people to put you up. Just, it's called hospitality. You'll find, I only own one house, okay? But I, I have stayed in many people's homes, and I feel that's going to continue to happen. As a matter of fact, he says, I will reward you here. Since I gave my life to the Lord, and I just kind of did a quick recap of what I've been able to, to be, experience. When I first got saved, I got invited to go to Mexico very shortly thereafter. And I went to Mexico five times in a row on mission trips. And then I went to Honduras three times. Then I went to Peru once. Then I went to Fiji. Then I went to Israel twice. Then I went to Lebanon. And I'm, I don't deserve any of that. But what I did was I said, Lord, I'm gonna let go of my life and I'm gonna follow you. What, what, where are we going? Oh, dude. Dude, it's going to be legit. Like I said, I taught at the Antioch Christian Training School just this last week. 7,000 miles I've driven there and back since, since I began in 2010. Over 250 hours of teaching and dozens 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 of people. The kingdom of God is lit. It can't be stopped. And Jesus invites us daily. And if you're like me, you've got a little bit of satisfaction. You've been there. You've been to some things. I've read the Bible. I read the book. I, I've done the thing. I've been to worship. I took communion. And now I'm happy. Careful. Let that happiness, like my daughter when she scored one goal yesterday, encourage you and compel you to score another one. Maybe a third one. Maybe a fourth one. Until the coach pulls you out of the game, you know. <laughs> Sit down, girl. Good job. Wouldn't that be awesome? The Lord's not done. We get so bored. We get so weird. We put God in so many boxes. He, he's constantly breaking out of boxes. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to bless me in the way that he has stored up things for him. Look at what he says in verse 31. Then he took the 12 aside. And he said to them, hey, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And I just love this because Jesus was always on mission. You guys know Jerusalem was a big deal. I told you that a minute ago. Thousands of years earlier, thousands of years earlier, this is where Abraham went. And when Abraham went to Jerusalem, there was no city on a hill. As a matter of fact, King David and Solomon built that city and built those temples. David was a man after God's own heart. In that city was the temples where the worship would happen and the sacrifices would go down. And the blood of the animals would be caught and then brought to the Lord and sprinkled upon the altar. And the incense and the smoke would go up. All of that foreshadows who Jesus was and his sacrifice for us. It's all about Jerusalem. It all foreshadows who he is. Thousands of years, though, before there was a city, a man named Abraham dwelt in that area, in the very mountain that Jerusalem was built upon. Abraham took his son Isaac, his only son Isaac, and he marched up that mountain with Isaac. And you guys know what Isaac was carrying, don't you? His own wood. Abraham had the fire. Isaac had the wood. Dad, where are we going? Don't ask. We're going to go, worship the Lord. All right, let's do it. And he carried up his own wood. And as Isaac would be strapped down willingly, his father would begin to then sacrifice him, God testing his heart. The angel of the Lord, which I believe was Jesus Christ himself, showed up and stopped him. 
at the very last second. And he said, quote, out of the Old Testament, God will provide himself a lamb. Not only does that mean God will provide himself a lamb now, God will provide himself a lamb. He will be that lamb. And Isaac was let go. And they found the ram caught in the thicket there. All of this foreshadowing, this Jesus who's on his way to Jerusalem, telling his boys, what's he going to do? He's going to grab his own sacrificial wood, that is the cross, and climb that mountain and crawl upon it willingly like Isaac did. And his father will kill him. And it won't be stopped this time for the salvation and the forgiveness of the sins of mankind. This, Jesus is on constant mission. You want to get bored in life? Go off mission. Forget about it, Okay. Your neighbors don't matter anymore. Your spouse doesn't matter. Your kids don't matter. You don't matter. Just kind of let it all go. Don't worry about it anymore. And you will get bored, distracted, lukewarm, rebellious, like all of my soccer players. Or stay focused. This is so, so key. This is why I love church. This is why we, we, we gather all the time in churches like far and few between. You have a lot of days in between Sundays, do you not? This is why we do life groups. This is why you need to be reading your Bibles. So that way we can see all the things written by the prophets in the scriptures about Jesus and not get cold, not forget. Now, again, there's two camps in this room. Uh, one camp are those Bible people. You believe the Bible. You've accepted it. It's the word of God. It's inerrant. It's inspired. It's, I quoted 2 Timothy 3.16, and you believed it for all scripture is inspired or is given by God. You believe that? There are another people group here that are, you think this is primarily a group of writings and it's got some history and it's got some examples and some morals. It's definitely not perfect. It's flawed for sure because it's written by mankind and you're on the other camp. And I would persuade you to get into the camp of those who hold this book like God does, even above his own name, Psalm 138.2. He says, this is the book. This is the book. God has preserved it. Do you know there's over a million Bibles printed every single year? Every single year, a million every year. Did you know that year to date, there are five billion Bibles printed? Okay, more than any other book ever printed in the entire world. Did you know that the Bible is the most gifted book in the entire world? Raise your hand if you've ever been given a Bible. Okay, what in the world? I've been given a Bible. I've given dozens of Bibles. Here's a Bible, here's a Bible, here's a Bible. The Bible also in the statistics, rates itself as the highest stolen book ever. <laughs> if you've ever stolen a Bible, talk to me. I'll give you one for free. We'll pray about it. You know, it's like, it's the most stolen, most read, most given, most printed. As a matter of fact, it's the very first, I just think this is cool. It's the very first printed book in the entire world. 1511, 1411 actually. 1455 on the Gutenberg printing press, a Latin Bible was printed. The very first literature that was bound in this way. So if you thought it was Harry Potter, you're wrong. It's the Bible. You know, I say that because we're in a weird generation, aren't we? Like, oh, you believe the Bible? Pfft, weirdo. As a matter of fact, believing the Bible in 2018 can get you in trouble. You can get accused of things that aren't true. Let me just tell you something. It's not going to get any better, okay? It's going to get darker. And you and I who believe the truth, okay, coupled with grace and love, not forcing this down anybody's throat, that's not what we're asked to do, but we are asked to stand as a witness. Oh, I believe that. And if you don't believe it, that's, that's your choice, okay? I honor you and respect you where you're at as you're wrong. But it's, it's not, it, 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 it will become illegal, not even for you 
it will become illegal for you to impose that upon somebody one day. It will one day become illegal for you even to just say, this is what I believe privately over here. You can't. We, we disallow it for you to even have that stance. Our na- it, it's going to happen. But I want to remind you, where did this, this is it. The foundation of the known academic world began with a printed Bible. This book was written by 44 different authors on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, over a 1,500-year period, comprising not one book, but 66 books, written by prophets, pastors, kings, scholars, peasants, farmers, fishermen, renegades, rebels, ruffians, tax collectors, did I say tax collectors? Tax collectors, written by men and women in times of peace, times of war, times of famine, times of plenty, times of enslavement, times of freedom, times of holiness, times of rebellion, times of good, bad, and the in-between. This book, 1,500 years, three continents, three languages, 44 authors, 66 books, if you were to just take those and like shuffle them up and say, let's see what comes out, it would be insanity. You ever done the pick-a-path thing, you know, the ad-libs pick-a-path? You're like, let's see where we go here. Instead, take that recipe, 44 authors, 66 books, three continents, three languages, etc., etc. 1,500 year period, and from Genesis to Revelation, it actually makes perfect sense and tells one grand meta-narrative, one story. The whole book is one story of Jesus Christ, from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Judges to Joshua to Deuteronomy to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, all the way through. And Jesus, taking his boys to Jerusalem, says, "Guys." Everything that was written in the prophets concerning me is about to be fulfilled. And then he goes on to tell us what that is. I'm going to be betrayed. That was foretold. I'm going to be mocked and insulted and spit upon. That was foretold. I'm going to be scourged. That was foretold. I'm going to be killed. That was foretold. Did you know Jesus grew up in a religious family? And when he studied the scriptures he would come across those portions that speak specifically of his betrayal, his scourging. Can you imagine being a young boy, 15-year-old Jesus, and you come to Isaiah 52, and it says that this man would be so marred in his beating that the people there wouldn't know if it was a man. Is that a man? Or is that a beast? What, what is that? And if you saw the passion of the Christ, which, by the way, the passion of the Christ... Uh, a couple decades ago, Mel Gibson's movie. The Passion of the Christ received an R rating before they brought it to the public, and they actually had to clean it up before they published that movie because of the, the, the gruesome reality of the scourging. And, and Jesus knew, I'm on mission. Let's go to Jerusalem, boys. Oh, yeah, I heard they have great falafel. What's your real point in going to Jerusalem, Jesus? not the falafel. It's not that at all. And this book is primarily not a history book. It's not an example. It's not a book of commands. Secondarily, it is those things. It is primarily the story of Jesus Christ. And he didn't come just to teach people, encourage people like some Dalai Lama, like some guru, some self-esteemed teacher. Jesus came, you should have this one quoted in your mind, Mark 10, 45. 
For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. This was what the whole book is about. Lest if you have become discouraged in your own souls, Hebrews chapter 12, lest you have become weary in the stuff that you've had to go through. Don't raise your hand, I'll raise it for you. Have you had to go through stuff? Yeah, stuff, man. Life's crazy, difficulties. Some done by them, most done by me. And we love to be the victim, we love to blame people. And here Jesus says, let me just show you how I navigate through stuff. I read the book, the good, the bad, the ugly, see what it says, and I keep marching. I keep going. Hey, Paul, follow me. Where are we going? To death. Oh. Well, didn't you just say if we give up stuff for you, we'll be rewarded in this life and the life to come? I did say that. That's why right after I said that, lest you get confused, I wanted you to also know how it looks. I want you to be prepared. And Jesus will not ask you to do anything that he himself's not willing to do first, to give up something, to sacrifice, to trust, to put it all in as it pertains to the things of God. And Jesus came to provide himself a lamb. I love this, these four verses because Jesus is inspired. He's focused and he's sure. And his disciples, did you write that down? It sounded like he said something. I didn't even listen. I was just thinking about falafels. Jesus says, we're going to go to Jerusalem. It's going to be great. No, no, no. It's not going to be great. He knew what was happening. Look at verse 32. He said, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. None of these things sound inviting. None of these things sound right, especially for him. Again, something within our heart. We, we hate to see violence if you're, if you're honest, if you're soft. You hate to see somebody hurting. And Jesus here knows this would be his plight, and he says that they would, verse 33, scourge him and kill him. Scourging in that day was quite brutal. It was a Roman tactic to get people to confess their sins. Paul was about to be scourged in Philippi, and they stopped. He was about to be scourged in Jerusalem, actually, and they stopped. And to scourge a man, they would take these long-handled wooden handles with leather straps with metal balls embedded on the end of them, and those metal balls would be used to tenderize the victim's skin, causing it to raise up off the body. And within those metal balls, there would also be hooks from bones and metal objects and possibly glass that would actually reach into the victim's body once it had been swollen and tenderized like meat, and that meat then would be pulled off of their bodies, and this would be repeated by two soldiers on one person who had been chained to a whipping post with their back, legs, and buttocks exposed. So grotesque was this form of scourging that it would often expose internal organs. Extra biblical literature actually records one account of a man's rib bone being pulled completely out of his body and flung across the room. Jesus had spent the previous night without sleep, without food, without water, facing extreme dehydration, extreme exhaustion, extreme blood loss. His heart would begin to go into trauma as he would endure this scourging. The book of Isaiah says that like a lamb led before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth before his accusers. Jesus studied that. The Bible says in that same Isaiah 53 that there would be stripes laid upon his back and our iniquities would be laid upon him. The iniquities of us all. 
that your sin and my sin would be put upon him and the wrath of God would be absorbed in those moments. And Jesus read this and knew this. As a matter of fact, there's so many prophecies in the book of Isaiah alone that it is often noted as the fifth gospel. So many pictures and types and themes and illustrations pointing to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 33, they'll scourge him and they'll kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. But none of these things, but they understood none of these things. And the saying was hidden from them. And they did not know the things which were spoken. This gives me a lot of encouragement. That these guys, these men right there with Jesus, they didn't get it. Don't raise your hand, but do you know somebody doesn't get it? They're like, like do you get it? And they're just still out to lunch. Okay, it's easy to be condescending, isn't it? It's easy to be kind of like critical. Don't raise your hand again. Do you remember a season in your life when you didn't get it? Like you were the, the guy? And then all of a sudden, you, do you know how your life has changed? It's changed through this book. If you're not gonna expose yourself to this book, if you're not gonna believe this book, if you're not gonna read this book, if you're not gonna follow this book, if you're not gonna get into this book, I got nothing for you. I got nothing for you. But if you choose to, it'd be like joining a gym. And you join the gym and the trainer shakes your hand. How you doing? Good. Glad you're here. Now what do we do? That's it. That's it. You're good. You're an official athlete. <laughs> oh, or that's not how it works, is it? No. That instructor then will expose you to weights, okay? And, and, and to movements and to repetition and to technique and, and to form. And when you, check this out, I promise you, if you expose yourself to this book, I promise you, you like an athlete that goes to the gym will begin to see results. You'll begin to reap the rewards. You'll begin to walk in what Jesus promised you. Did you sacrifice something for me? I promise you, you'll receive more in this life and the life to come, I promise you. And if you're a Christian here, you've experienced that promise, but I want to stir you up today. What are you doing with your life? I say that to myself. You only live once, and then the judgment. Did you know that throughout the Old Testament, there are pictures and types and prophecies? I don't have the time, so I'm going to give you the headings, and that's it. There are five ways, primarily, that you'll find Jesus throughout the scriptures. Number one, it's in Christophanies. Did you know Jesus showed up throughout the whole Old Testament? All the way to Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says, let us make man in our image. Who's us and who's our? It's the Trinity. It's God the Son and God the Father talking there. Did you know that in Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6, when the commander of the Lord's army showed up and said, hey, Gideon, mighty man of valor, that was Jesus Christ showing up to Gideon. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the king high and lifted up, that was Jesus high and lifted up. Joshua chapter 5, Joshua sees the angel of the Lord and says, who are you? Are you for us or against us? And Jesus is like, nah, brah, I'm in charge. Like, oh, snap. That's Jesus in Joshua chapter five. Exodus chapter 13 or 22, or I actually can't remember, where in Exodus where Moses is approached by the burning bush. He's like, who should I say sent me? He's like, tell him I am sent you. Jesus would come on the scene and say, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I was the burning bush, bro. That was me. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, chapter three. There's an angel that is the face of God that shows up in the fire. Jesus is in Christophanes. I don't have time to keep going. He's also seen in the scriptures in types. Colossians chapter two, verse 17 says, all the old types of the scriptures point to Jesus, who is the substance. Joseph was a type of Jesus. Moses was a type of Jesus. The ark that saved Noah and his family was a type of Jesus. Water coming out of the rock was a type of Jesus. The Passover delivered from Exodus was a type of Jesus. 
There's also events in the scriptures that all point to Jesus and what he would do when the nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt, that exodus. That's what God does for you and for me when we're saved. We're delivered from our sinful ways and given into the promised land. There's also titles that Jesus used from the Old Testament referencing himself. He said he's the light, he's the bridegroom, he's the water, he's the shepherd. He called himself the rock, the redeemer. His favorite self-title, though, was the son of man, which was a portion of scripture taken out of Daniel 7. Saved for, reserved for, pointing to the Messiah. And Jesus says, I am all these things. Also, there's prophecies, probably the most common thought, and I wanted to put those other ones out there for you who are Bible students or critics making decisions today. Prophecies. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies talking about who Jesus was, what he would do, how he would die, and how he would rise from the dead. By the way, if you're going to make a false religion, don't make prophecies, okay? Because it'll only last a few minutes before your prophecies found out to be not true. And throughout the scriptures, the Bible is written in prophetical fashion. Over one-third of this Bible is prophetical fashion. And over half of the prophecies that have been foretold in this book have actually come true. Over half. That is impossible unless God wrote the book. And if the first half of the prophecies that have already come true have come true, what is the likelihood for the second half of the prophecies that haven't yet been fulfilled yet coming true? What's the likelihood? Pretty good. Pretty good. All the way in Genesis 3.15, we see the first prophecies of Jesus saying that there would be one rising up out of the seed of the woman. Women don't have seed. That's not how it works. Unless you're Mary, the virgin mother, and the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and a baby is born miraculously, that prophecy being fulfilled. Psalm 22, the one on the cross would yell, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That being fulfilled by Jesus. Isaiah 52 talks about the way he would die and not be recognized. Isaiah 53 talks about the stripes that he would receive. Did you know there are more prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled by Jesus than by any other person? As a matter of fact, there are 300 prophecies. Let me just give you a stat here. 300 prophecies in the Old Testament detailing Jesus and the way he would be born, the way he would live, the way he would die and be risen from the dead. In order for you to fulfill eight of those prophecies, imagine if your life fulfilled eight, you were born of a virgin. Anybody got that one? No. We know your parents. Anyways, anybody born in Bethlehem? I was born in Bethlehem. All right, that's one out of eight. One out of eight. Let's see if we can get a couple others in there. You know, where all these other prophecies for you or anybody else ever to do eight prophecies, just eight. The likelihood of you fulfilling eight prophecies by your life, death, burial, and resurrection would be similar to taking the state of Texas and burying it with silver dollars three feet deep and taking one of those silver dollars and painting it red and just putting it wherever you want and then flying over the state of Texas and jumping out with a parachute. And as you're landing, you're deciding, is it in Dallas? Nah. San Antonio? Nah. Is it over here? Well, I don't know. That's the only two state cities I know. But anyways, is it in, and you jump down and you land and you walk around. And then you close your eyes and you reach down there it is, there it is, and you pull it out. There's the red one. You could actually do that. It actually is possible for you to, is it possible? Is that impossible? It's not impossible. The likelihood's pretty slim, but the coin's there. It could be done. For one man to fulfill eight prophecies in his life accidentally or arbitrarily, not on purpose, would be the similar likelihood for you to grab that coin, which is the same odds, by the way, for winning the Mega Millions last Tuesday. If you know that person in South Carolina, let them know I'm praying for them, that, that they would contact us. I'm kidding, kidding. We should pray for that person. Here's my point. Why would I teach it this way? 
Jesus said, all the things that are written of me, they're going to be fulfilled. That's, that's good news. It might not have been the way you wanted it to be. Life, life certainly hasn't gone the way I thought it was going to go. Nobody in here. And yet Jesus says, I'm in control. I'm in control. If you're a believer, dude, let's get fired up. Let's keep going. Even if it has sacrifice, I will bless you. I'll give more than you could ever give to me. Don't get too satisfied. Don't get lethargic. And I would say it this way for the person who's not a believer, those who haven't made that choice yet, and this is going to be harsh. Okay, it is not for lack of evidence that people reject the Lord. People say this, well, if God would just prove it to me, he already has. No, he hasn't proved it in my way. No, he doesn't go on your terms. He has proved it time in and time again. The historicity and the validity of this book alone outweighs all other secular history. This book. And if anybody says, no, nope, I'm not going to do it. Dude, you can't blame God. You, it, it is not for lack of evidence that people reject God. It is for a hardened heart and a stiffened neck. For an unwillingness to let go of their own self-idolatry. Jesus has done enough. He owes you nothing else. He has blessed. He said, it's all written, and I'm going to do it. You mean you're going to be scourged for me? Yeah. You're going to be insulted for me, and your beard plucked out of your face for me? And they're going to gamble for your garments, and you're going to be okay with that for me? Yeah. It's all written. I'm doing it. Wow. What choice, what right choice do you and I have but to bow the knee and to apologize for our wicked ways, for our weakness, for our inabilities, for our sin, and to receive then the graces of God, the goodness of God, the freedom of God, the forgiveness, everything he offers to you and to me. We're gonna do that right now. I'm gonna have the worship team come up and lead us in a closing song, and we're gonna take communion together, and we're gonna ask the Lord to minister to our hearts, to heal us, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I'm gonna ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads, and we're gonna respond to him right now. Jesus, we thank you for your word, that indeed all these things, Lord, that are written about you, that they all came to fruition. Lord, I can't even, it's hard for me to say that I'm glad they came to fruition. Lord, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness to stand underneath, Lord, the beatings and the barrage of fists, Lord, as they covered your face and you were not able to brace, Lord, for those punches. As you bore all of that, Lord, you knew it was coming. You said, this is the only way, guys. It's the only way you're getting in. You can't get in with your own deeds. The only way you can get in is through my blood. I'll do it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. Let's go to Jerusalem. <laughs> like a faith that was set like flint. Jesus marched towards Jerusalem. He wouldn't be stopped. Peter, get behind me. You don't know what you're talking about. This is what the Son of Man came to do. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. To rescue his kids. If you're here before we take communion and you have not yet been rescued, you have been staunch in your rebellion, you've not gotten excited about the things of God, you resisted and rebelled, And you see that Jesus did what he did for you. He sacrificed for you. And today you want to apologize? Today you want to repent? Today you want to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and save me and be my king and light this fire. That's you right now. You, you do it. 
You raise your hand up right now to Jesus. Say, yeah, that's me. Surrender to him in that way. Put your hand up and say, Lord, save me. Forgive me, Lord, for being rebellious toward you. Forgive me, Lord. I see a hand up in the back. Anybody else join this one? Raise your hand to the Lord. I see hands going up. In Jesus' name, let him save you. You will have your own blood on your head if you do not. He bore your sins on the cross. Let him save you. Lord, I thank you for the hands that are going up, the, the 10 or so hands in Jesus' name. Lord, in Jesus' name, you can put your hands down. And if you're here this morning and you would say, well, I want his blood on my head. I'm saved, but I've, I've gotten satisfied. I've gotten soft. I don't know what's going on. And you need a, a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit through his word. Would you just raise up your hand right now? It could be the people who just raised their hand. It could be everyone here. Raise up your hand. You need a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit through his word in Jesus' name. Lord, my hands are up in Jesus' name. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive us, Lord. American Christians, we got a lot going against us. Keep your hands up. Getting lethargic, Lord, and apathetic and sinful. Lord, we need more power, Lord. Raise your hand if you need more power. I straight up need more power. I need more power, Lord, to be the man you want me to be. In Jesus' name, Lord, heal us, Lord. Heal us. Heal our marriages. Heal our ministries. We thank you, Lord. We put, our, put your hands down, Lord, and we can trust you to do these things. It's not a matter of me standing up here and yelling and getting louder. It has nothing to do with it. You're faithful. You're faithful. You're the rock, Lord. You're the great I am. You're the door. You're the bridegroom. You're the husband. You're the son of man. You're the first and the last. You're the lion and the lamb. Lord, you're the conquering one. You're the one who stands with fire in his eyes. The one who is coming. The one who ascended there on the Mount of Olives and one day will descend just as you left. So we trust in you. As we come to the table of communion, Lord, we remind ourselves of your death, burial, and resurrection. We examine ourselves and we see what you did and we proclaim your death until you return. We do what we do now, Jesus your glory for our betterment as we take communion we do so with celebration thanking you in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen, amen. would y'all stand with me believers communion is up front come down the center aisles and take your communion out the side aisles there's people to pray for you on my right and left as well as we take communion we celebrate what Jesus has done for us come when you are ready come down the center aisles take your communion out the side aisles and celebrate Repent to your Savior. Ask Him to spark you up, to fire you up, to take you deeper. His love will pursue you. Even today, if you've come in here, you're a mess. His love will pursue you. There's no lie He won't tear down. There's nothing He won't do to get at you. Let's sing to the Lord as we take communion. The tables are open. Come when you're ready.